everybody. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us today. Yes, on this on this warm, summery Monday, right? Summer's coming. I wore a summery shirt today. <laughs> I didn't realize I would be quite so com so uh, colorful as I am, but... Looks good. Hey, there you go. I yeah. kind of like this shirt. I like yeah. the bold colors. Bold. Bold, that's yes. Good. That's yes. You bold. So today is January is June sixth, not January sixth. <gasps> today is June sixth, which means it's our anniversary. Our anniversary. <laughs> it's our twenty fourth anniversary. We've been celebrating it for since Thursday. <laughs> of last week or the week before? No, last week. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So anyway, so yeah, yeah. So we're 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 very yeah. very blessed to have uh, found each other. We started it out with the Glorias and Glorias Margaritas, and I think that may be and the way we the way, close it out today. you want to end yeah. it out tonight yeah. is with Glorias? Yeah. We had yeah. a really nice uh, sort three of out forks of tradition. in the middle. Yes. Yeah. 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 There we go. Just eating our way through anniversaries. Yes. You know, so 18 years ago, Patty and I were remembering that we were on at in Normandy. We were. Um, off a cruise ship on June 7th. 7th. It was the day after, um, obviously, the landing day of June 6th. So June 7th was a very busy day as troops and everything were pouring across. And it was such an experience, wasn't it, to be there? I, it I... was amazing. And um, we couldn't have been there anyway. The ship didn't, you know, arrive the day before. But I think also that was part of the planning, too, because the president was there. George yeah. Bush was there. I'm sure it was... Because it was Just, the sixtieth uh, anniversary, anniversary sixtieth anniversary of that day, yeah. And we actually got to get off. If you've ever been there, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, and you can possibly do it, it is so worth it. You'll never forget it. And we actually got to walk on the beaches. Uh, walk Went to the cemetery, cemetery at Omaha Beach, which is just. Driving it's past just an amazing just experience. the little towns leading, you know, up into um, right where the action took place. Many of the buildings still there, bombed out, left exactly like they were at that time 60 years before. So it's it's really something. It is. It's so really we something. remember that today and the sacrifice of many, many thousands who, um, um, you know, began the defeat of Hitler. Hitler's Germany. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So, anyway, we are excited to get back to our class today. Yeah, Isaiah was, you know, when I was working on this, I was just time after time, I was struck by how relevant it is to today. So, I hope that we all sort of see that in a world which is, which is, which easily mocks God, easily scoffs at God. People easily say, oh, I'm just an atheist or this or that or they spend their time wondering how we will ever get answers to questions that I'd be happy to answer for them if they gave me three minutes based upon what God has revealed to us but um, in any event I think we'll see a lot of that today yes. and it's one of my favorite scripture passages lies ahead today okay. from Isaiah so well, I know Scott, Scott mentioned the other day, too, that I just have been <clears throat> noticing on how many TV shows, we watch all kinds of TV shows, magazines, I, we both read, you know, a number of different papers online, and um, 
so you all know yesterday was the French Open and it's just so amazing and incredible that Nadal at 36 years old was able to beat his competitor who was 23. Who I've never heard of, so it may be not, maybe not that incredible in straight sets. Oh yeah, but the young man was very good. Yeah. And he grew up as a little boy just <laughs> idolizing Nadal. So I decided I needed to look up in Wikipedia a little bit about him. And of course, he's won a million Grand Slam championships all over the place. And he's an amazing athlete. But the one thing that really struck out, struck to me, that struck out, he calls himself an agnostic atheist. What? That was a new one for me. Yeah. And I just thought... What a funny thing to be proud of. What a funny thing to be proud of, that that's something that you that you want the world to know and that somehow maybe he didn't thank God at all for this amazing talent that he has, you know? I don't know. I don't think so. Just, it was just a little bit sad, a little bit sad to read that about him. But anyway, that is our world in 2022. And that's going to be Isaiah 44. I know. So here we go. Here we go. So Patty's going around, and then I will open us up with prayer. All righty. Okay, so let's pray. Gracious Lord, we are grateful to be back here. We missed last week because of Memorial Day, but we're grateful to be back together to resume our journey through this amazing piece of writing called Isaiah. And uh, we pray as we do every time we gather that your spirit will open this up for us. It's Parts of it are pretty far removed from our lives. Some of it is not. Some of it's very immediate, but help us to hear in it your word, um, not only for these people of long ago, but also for us. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so let's see. Um, last time we, this is two weeks ago, we tackled Isaiah 42 and 43, basically. And so what I want to do is to is to go back. I need to go back. We need to go back a little bit in Isaiah chapter 43 to bring us into Isaiah 44. Because what happens in the scroll of Isaiah that confuses people, and it really shouldn't because it's very, it's very New Testament-ish, that in Isaiah there are lots of reversals, right? It's going to be doom, 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 uh, sin, 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 and then there's this reversal, and God says, ah, but you know I'm a God of forgiveness and mercy and so forth, and it can catch people off guard. But that's that is who God is, and these reversals um, from judgment to grace remind us that judgment and grace belong together. Without judgment, there can be no grace. All you would, without, without judgment, it isn't grace, it's just indifference, right? If, does God care? I, we just saw the video of this kid who ran down a mother and her baby in the stroller alongside the ed, side of a building. Shouldn't God care about that? Shouldn't God be ready to, to, to make a judgment about that? To pass judgment on such, a, such an act? And if God doesn't, then God's indifferent to it. And what sort of God would that be? What sort of person would that be who could be indifferent to such a thing? So, yeah, so judgment and grace. So here we have 
again, so so let, let's just look at Isaiah 43. Um, oh, we'll start in verse 24. Okay, and we'll just read right through and then into, into Isaiah 44 and we'll see the reversal. Okay, verse 24. You have not bought any fragrant calamus for me or lavished on me the fat of your sacrifices. But instead, you have burdened me with your sins and wearied me with your offenses. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Review the past for me. Let us argue the matter together. State the case for your innocence. They can state it, but it's not so. They're not. Verse 27, your first father sinned. Those I sent to teach you rebelled against me. So I disgraced the dignitaries of your temple. I consigned Jacob slash Israel to destruction and Israel to scorn. And then chapter 44. But now listen, Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. What for? What? what? 44 verse 1. I know, but what, um, what Bible are you using? NIV. Okay. I'm in the NIV, 44 verse 1. Okay. NIV. I mean, it's what my, gotcha. uh, what my iPad's telling gotcha. me. Gotcha. Sorry. So 44 verse 1, but now listen, Jacob, my servant Israel, whom I have chosen. This is what Yahweh says, right? So then who is Yahweh? He who made you, who formed you in the womb, who will help you. Don't be afraid, Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. Jeshurun is a Hebrew word for honored. Um, respected. It's like a. It's it's like a an honorific awarded to somebody. It's not used very often to talk about Israel, but it's lifting up Israel. Don't be afraid, Jacob, my servant, you honored one whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on the thirsty land, streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They will spring up like grass in a meadow, the poplar trees by flowing streams. Some will say, I belong to Yahweh. Others will call themselves by the name of Jacob. Still others will write on their hand, Yahweh's and will take the name Israel. Right on their hand, Yahweh's. Makes me think of, you know, someone who might wear a t-shirt that says, I belong to Jesus, versus someone who might wear a t-shirt that says, I belong to the world. In scripture, there is this call to be God's people, and God's people taking these names even having them written on their hands, or in Deuteronomy, they're supposed to take the law and bind it to their foreheads, and they do it by putting a few phrases from the law in a box that they put on their foreheads. 
um, turn, if you would like, to Revelation 13. I had the verse written down, but I threw away the piece of paper. <laughs> That's not good. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't find it, so I had to print something out again. But it's Revelation 13. This is one of the, you know, I'm my mind is obviously going to Revelation these days because we're preaching it. I'm teaching it on Sundays. We're having this whole um, Revelation summer kind of thing. So one of the things that people will crawl all over is um, uh, found in verse 15 of Revelation 13. So let's just read it, and I'm not going to get at all the beasts. They're all just, the, the, the beasts in Revelation, the dragon and the two beasts, are like a demonic trinity. Okay. That's the best way to understand it. They're a demonic trinity. They're, they're a blasphemous perversion of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So in Revelation 13, verse 15, uh, John writes, The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast, so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. And indeed, in the first century, there were an increasingly... Um, demanding cult of Caesar. With temples built to Caesar, people expected to pay uh, uh, temple taxes in these temples, expected to worship Caesar, uh, to acknowledge Caesar as God, and the Christians often get in trouble because they don't. So then verse 16. The beast, it also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or their foreheads. So they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. The mark, the name. Elsewhere in Revelation, it's about the name. And the question is, whose name do you bear? We should bear Christ's name. Or do we want to bear, in Revelation, Parnance, you know, the name of the beast, which is really the name of the world, the name of the powers of this world, or do we want to embrace God and God's name? Do we want our, our palms to read Yahweh's or Jesus's or some, some, somebody else? That's the question. It's, it's kind of simple, really. You know, there's... There really isn't a middle ground. We either belong to Christ or we don't. We find our identity in Christ or we don't. Um, I'm teaching 1 Corinthians on Tuesday. These are people who are struggling with finding their identity in Christ. They don't have much. Paul has to give them milk instead of meat. He wants them to have not less, but more. More of what? More of Christ. More of God's wisdom. More of God's way. So here, here in Isaiah, um, God's people, which is who's being addressed in verse 5, are those who will say, to go back to Isaiah 44, I belong to Yahweh. Others will call themselves by the name of Jacob. 
uh, still others will write in their hand Yahweh's and will take the name Israel, which means struggles with God. It is the name given to Jacob by God himself and taken is the name of, of Abraham's people, God's people. So the question, you know, I, I once preached on this. I once preached a sermon kind of asking the question of, you know, what if we had on our foreheads a, a little, said, you know, you know, I'm a Christian on our foreheads. How would that change how we lived? Would How often would we go looking for a hat with a low brim or something <laughs> as we were contemplating going somewhere, you know, where, I don't know, Jesus, we might not be doing Jesus might not be too happy with us, with us if we were found there. And it's not being, it's not being, it's not about a list of rules, and it's not about being prudish or any of that. I'm not any of that. It is about finding our identity in Christ and knowing that that is 24-7. There's no... There, there's no partiality in that. It's, 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 it, it, it must be everything. It must be everything. So, any thoughts about all that, Patty? Uh, nothing right now. Hey, except that Johnny likes your shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Johnny. <laughs> there we go. Here we go. Yes. This is, these are like, what, what are these? Palm leaves. Palm leaves and, yeah. There we go. So, verse 6. Now, this is what Yahweh says. Israel's king and redeemer, Yahweh Almighty. I am the first, I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Right? That's the message for God's people in these writings from 2,500 years ago, which, are, which is about the time the Great Pyramids were built in Egypt. Okay? About 2,500 years ago. I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. God is the only God there is. All other gods that people suggest in this world are false. Do you think the writer of this sees this as a matter of opinion? Well, that's your tr that's your truth. Let me tell you my truth. No, that <laughs> the writer of this, the writers of this scroll, the writers of scripture, we Christians should all be strong enough to say that's what reality is. We are on the third planet from the sun. I think that's right. Is that right, Betty? I think we are. We're on the Mercury, third planet. <laughs> yeah. We're on the third planet from the sun. That's a fact. It's reality. You could pretend something or something else was so, but it's not so. It's reality that there is no God other than the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob revealed fully in Jesus Christ. All Christians need to be strong enough to say that and not not mealy-mouthed around. It's not... You. Everybody's made in the image of God. We are called to love everyone. But loving people doesn't mean you deprive them of the truth about reality, does it? I don't, I don't think it does. 
So, I am the first in, in the New Testament. This would be I am Omega. I am Alpha and the Omega because those are the first and last, first and last letters of the um, Greek alphabet. That's how it's done in Revelation. I am the first and the last. Meaning there's, there's nothing before. Nothing out. God is all in all. Apart from me, there is no God. So who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Stand up. Let him declare and lay out before me what has happened since I established my ancient people and what is yet to come. Yes, let them foretell what will come. And of course, there's going to be nothing except silence when God lays down such challenges. Do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? No. no. <laughs> there is no other rock. I know not one. There is no other rock, I know not one. All who make idols are nothing. The things they treasure are worthless. Now, idols in these pagan cultures were these little figurines. You've all been to museums where they have lots and lots of them behind, you know, little glass, in glass cases and stuff. Some of them are small, some of them are more larger, some of them are quite large. Um, and there are various kinds in there in various cultures, right? Those are, those are idols. These are all the, the uh, pagan gods and god, goddesses and divine beings imagined by humans. Why do humans imagine them? Because we have a powerful spiritual yearning. The trouble is it gets misdirected. And rather than directed toward the God who is, that spiritual yearning and drive and fervor gets directed toward, well, we'll just make some gods that suit us. And um, and you can ask yourself, well, in our world, what are some of those idols? And the way to get at that question is to ask people or to think about what people worship. And to get at that question, because that isn't quite the way we think about or the world thinks about things, is what do people put at the center of their life? Whatever is at the center of their life, that is what they worship. If it is, for example, and I've known, I've, you know, I've known men like this where it was money. And I asked a really rich guy I worked with one time, I said, you know, how much money do you want? <laughs> and he said, well, Scott, it's really just a scoreboard. That's all it is. I, I, I can't spend all the money I've made, but it's a scoreboard. It's for how I stack up against other guys. This was a long time ago, so. Um, yeah. Trouble is, if you, if you put money at the center of your life, if you worship money, wealth, what will happen is you become greedy. 
You become what you worship. You become what you put at the center of your life. Um, we live in a culture in which I would swear there are people who worship sex. Because it seems to be at the very center of their life. That's all I'm saying. It just seems, you know, just, wow. Maybe it, it really isn't that way out there. But that's the way it's depicted a lot on, you know, in movies and stuff. But if you put sex at the center of your life, if that's what you really worship, if that, that then is, um, you'll just become lustful. We are made to worship God. No one else, nothing else. We are, John Calvin said, we are, we are idol factories, I-D-O-L. We are idol factories. We just keep creating all these things that we somehow chase and invest with lots of power and that we desire even as we're running away from God. And I think he's right, and we live in a culture which is, I fear, just so many people don't even, don't even, they don't even get that there's these questions anymore. Because the truth is found here in verse 9. All who make idols are nothing. The things they treasure are worthless. Those who would speak up for them are blind. They're ignorant to their own shame. Who shapes a god, one of these figurines, and casts an idol which can profit nothing? What is the point? People who do that will be put to shame. Such craftsmen are only <coughs> human beings. Let them all come together and take their stand. They'll be brought down to terror and to shame. Because these idols are, are nothing. You know, it's hard for us, I think, in some ways in 2022 here to, to look back and understand that for the Jews, they were, they were called to live very different lives from the world around them. They did not have any idols. They had no figurines. Remember in the Ten Commandments, there's that one that says, make no graven images, you know, Right? So they didn't. They didn't have any images of God. In fact, in their art, they don't really have, they didn't have images of trees or animals and things, maybe a few trees, but no animals, no people. A lot. They used a lot of geometric shapes. They used certain palm branches and stuff, but nothing that even, that even remotely smelled <laughs> of an idol. And this made them very different. And if you read your the Book of Kings, and it it's the sad it's a sad story of a people who continually go chasing after foreign gods and goddesses, and bring home lots of these idols, lots of different like totem poles and figurines and altars and stuff, all devoted to these these non-existent, worthless, useless gods and goddesses. And we just have to make the translation from that world, you know, to our world um, about what do people devote their entire life to. 
that in the end has no worth. So, all right, verse 12. So, Isaiah goes on. So the blacksmith takes a tool and he works it in the coals and he shapes an idol with hammers. He's a skilled guy. He forges it with the might of his arm. He gets hungry. And he loses his strength, gets hangry. He gets hungry and loses his strength. He drinks no water. He grows faint. The carpenter measures with a line and makes an outline with a marker. He roughs it out with chisels and marks it with compasses. He shapes that piece of wood, in this case, into a human form, a human form in all its glory that it may dwell in a shrine, right? Humans are glorious. Humans are made in the image of God. Every human is of deep and abiding worth. But that doesn't make humans divine, doesn't make humans worthy of worship. There are numerous, I'll use the word numerous instances in the New Testament where people wanted to worship the apostles and they all make the people quickly stand up because they realize, no, worship is reserved for God, of course, not for Peter or for Paul or, no, for God. Verse 14, the carpenter, that's who we're talking about, cuts down cedars or perhaps took a cypress tree or an oak tree and he let it grow among the trees of the forest. Or maybe he planted a pine and the rain made it grow. It's used as fuel for burning. Some of it he takes and warms himself, makes a fire. He kindles a fire and he bakes some bread because he's hungry. But then he also fashions a god and worships it. He makes an idol and bows down to it. Half the wood he burns in the fire. Over it he prepares his meal. He roasts his meat and eats his fill. He also warms himself and says, Ah, I'm warm. I see the fire. From the rest of the wood, the other half, he makes a god, his idol. He bows down to it and he worships and he prays to it and says, Save me, save me, you are my god. Ah, isn't that, that's just a fabulous, fabulous little image, right? So the carpet, the, the 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 carpenter in this case, he's out in the woods, he's chopping wood. He takes this piece of wood and he uses half of it to make a fire so we can eat and be warm. The other half he shapes into an idol that he can worship. How ridiculous! How ridiculous! God says. God, you know, you can have sympathy for the person, I suppose, but it is ridiculous. That's the point. Verse 18, they know nothing. They understand nothing. Their eyes are plastered over so they cannot see and their minds closed so they cannot understand. No one stops to think. No one has the knowledge 
or understanding to simply say, half of it I used for fuel. I even baked bread over its coals. I roasted meat and I ate. Shall I make a detestable thing from what is left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? <laughs> and the answer is no. No, 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 no. Over and over and over again. And, and, and this whole perspective set Judaism very much apart from the world around them. It's part of what made them weird. It's part of what got them in trouble. Later, it would be part of what got the Christians in trouble because the Christians refused to do what other peoples around them did. They refused to do what the empire wanted them to do. So because they wouldn't pay the temple tax and they wouldn't go to Zeus in prayer and they, when things went bad, who, was the who were the first to be blamed? The Christians were. Oh, look at them. They're, the gods are mad. Why are the gods mad? Because the Christians are ignoring them. When the truth is, of course, there are no gods and goddesses. There is only the one true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob revealed fully and completely in Jesus Christ. That's it. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's it. One God. There is no other God. <sighs> Every time, every day now, I find myself hearing and seeing things where I want five minutes with the person. <laughs> I was driving back from church yesterday and I had on, sometimes on NPR, I like listening to Radiolab on Sundays, driving home from church. So I had on Radiolab and, and these people, very, very nice people I know. God loves them. I love them. And they were talking about, well, you know, we don't have a word for the last individual of a species or the last individual of a family line. And how without, they would, it, there's such lostness in all of that and such bleakness in all of that. And we need to come up with a word. And I couldn't quite understand why we needed a word, but I was listening. When most of me simply wanted to say, you 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 find your identity in Jesus of Nazareth. You're not the last of anything. Nobody's the last of anything. Maybe there's some species of fish that's the last, but that's just a fish. It's only a fish. But none of these humans, which are worthy of 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 glory. None of us um, should ever feel like we don't have an identity or we lack purpose. We're just, so many are determined not to look <laughs> in the place where you will find that identity and purpose, namely in Jesus. And I'm sure there are lots of reasons. And I'm sure the Christian church, um, you know, bears some of the blame. I know there are lots of people who have been abused by church. Those are all sad stories. But that doesn't change the nature of reality. Do you think part of that is because of, um, in the last 10, 15 years, the whole thing with Ancestry.com and 23andMe and all that stuff kind of have people more looking into themselves and their earthly um, 
I don't know. I haven't thought about that. I don't know. And and for anybody out there, I am not knocking that. Well, because you're you're a member. Of I am a member one of, of industry. <laughs> I got you a crystal present. Yes. Yeah, so I just want you to know we're not knocking anything. So it, but, it is interesting. But, but I it's... know it becomes almost um, for some folks. I'm not talking about the majority. It becomes almost an obsession, and I've known a few people like that. That it the becomes... key is to know that your your earthly family. Is not should not be your ultimate place of identification. Identification is what what lies at the very center of who you are. Um, and it it should not even be your earthly family. It should not be a political party. It should it can only be Jesus. That's this key New Testament teaching. It can only be Jesus. Because there is no other God. And we could we could be like this person here in this carpenter in Isaiah 44, um, who would who says in verse 17, save me, save me to this block of wood. But obviously the block of wood won't save them. There is no salvation apart from from the God who is. And the God who is is revealed in Jesus. So, could be there. I just think this gets manifested in lots of ways. And I just see it increasingly. I think I do. Um, so, let's, let's go back to verse 19. No one stops to think... No one has the knowledge or understanding to say to themselves, half of it I used for fuel. I even baked bread over its coals. I roasted meat and I ate. Shall I make a detestable thing from what is left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? Such a person feeds on ashes. A deluded heart misleads him or her. He cannot save himself or say, is not this thing in my right hand a lie? The block of wood is a lie. It isn't nice to pretend the block of wood isn't a lie. That's part of the trouble we get into in our world because we want to live in peace with one another, which we do want to do and should do and are called to do. We often feel like we have to, we have to pretend to things. But the block of wood in the carpenter's right hand is a lie. It's an idol. There is no God in that idol. That idol does not represent any God. It's just simply a lie. And the carpenter in Isaiah 44 deludes himself about it, feeding on ashes. He cannot save himself. I've been preaching and teaching for a long time. I don't, I couldn't, you know the old adage about if I, if I had a nickel for every time, okay, if I had a nickel for every time I've talked about living in a world that increasingly thinks there's some means to save itself is i'd i'd be a rich person <laughs> i'd be midas or whatever does that mean i'd be rich too yeah okay. you're in you're in on it okay. it's 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 um we think every new program or every new idea or 
that that'll be our, that's the root of salvation. Why can't we all just have a big hug? Well, we're not all going to have a big hug. Because there's a darkness that lies at our heart that we cannot eradicate. We need a Savior, and the Savior you're not going to find in a bank account or in a, uh, uh, what? Or in a bed or um, any place you might look other than in Jesus. And I say Jesus because Jesus is the full revelation of the God we're talking about and reading about and hearing here in Isaiah 44. I mean, I mean that's what's how that's what happens over the course of Scripture. So the God, we're, this this Yahweh Almighty, reveals more and more about Himself and that revelation of Himself, telling us more and more and revealing more and more to us about who this God is finally reaches its culmination in whom? In Jesus. So that when you when you see Jesus, you see God. When you hear Jesus, you hear God. When you strive to walk in God's ways, you are striving to be more Christ-like. Okay, so anything else on all that rant there, Patty? No, 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 I think. Okay. I gotcha. Verse 21. Remember these things, Jacob, for you, Israel, are my servant. I have made you. You are my servant, Israel. I will not forget you. I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. We don't live in a part of the country where we very early, um, where, where we very early, I mean, where we very often have early morning mists and fog and stuff around every once in a while. But some places do. And, you know, as the day gets going, then, then the mists just kind of disappears. And that's what God has done with the sins of Israel. That is what God has done with our sins. Gone like the morning mist. So God says, return to me, for this is a two-way project. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. I have redeemed you. Sing for joy, you heavens, for Yahweh has done this. Shout aloud, you earth beneath. Burst into song, you mountains, you forests, and all your trees. For Yahweh has redeemed Jacob. He displays his glory in Israel, the people. The land's beautiful, but it's about the people. This is what Yahweh says, your Redeemer who formed you in the womb. I am Yahweh, the maker of all things. The phrase I often use is the creator of the cosmos, the maker of all things, who stretches out the heavens, who spreads out the earth by myself who foils the signs of false prophets and makes fools of diviners, who overthrows the learning of the wise, wise in the world's way. That's, boy, that's 1 Corinthians, right, Patty? Yes. That's what Paul is hammering home, <laughs> paragraph after paragraph. There's the world's wisdom, which is foolishness. And then there is God's wisdom, 
which seems like foolishness to the world, but because they they don't have this they don't have the Holy Spirit they haven't come to God. So anyway, whoever in verse twenty five who overthrows the learning of the wise and turns it into nonsense, who carries out the words of his servants and fulfills the predictions of his messengers, who says of Jerusalem. It shall be inhabited. Of the towns of Judah, they shall be rebuilt. And of their ruins, I will restore them. Who says to the watery deep, be dry. I will dry up your streams. Who says of Cyrus, whoa, Cyrus? Cyrus. We're going to talk about Cyrus in a minute. Says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and will accomplish all that I please. He, Cyrus, will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt, and of the temple, let its foundations be laid. So now, when we leave 44, and we make our way into 45, what you have is another transition, because God has illustrated the futility, hopelessness, foolishness of these idols called the people to God, said to them that their sins will disappear, you will sweep them away like the morning mist, because remember, they're, they're in exile. That's the historical context. They're in exile. And now we're introduced to Cyrus, whom God is going to raise up to get the people back to Israel. Okay? Okay. So, let's look at a few maps I have. Uh, oh, okay. One, let's see. Okay, so just remember, it's about, this is in the middle of the 6th century B.C., and these are the exiles streaming out of Jerusalem heading for Babylon. And this is the map. We've used it a few times. The green is the Babylonian Empire. Okay? And the exiles have largely been sent to the Tigris-Euphrates River Valley centered in Babylon. And I just put a little white arrow there just to help you grasp where, you know, um, Canaan is, where Jerusalem is, where the land of Israel is. This, then, is from the from the time of we're reading in this this is this this is um, the Persian Empire, and what they do is they write um, uh, Cyrus the Great overcomes the Babylonian emperors and his empire spreads westward and before you know it almost they have control of all of this that's all the yellow is the Persian Empire and you can see Babylon there that's still where the exiles are in the um, Tigris-Euphrates River Valley in Mesopotamia, okay? So I did bring one other map just for grins. This is just for grins. This is an overlay of modern-day countries on this map. Okay? So there you go. This, these are modern-day nations overlaying this map of the ancient world under the Persians, and you can see a rock there. The, the, the white arrow is pointing to Babylon. Um, you can see the nation of Iraq, 
and its ancestors are the Babylonians. The ruins of Babylon are in Iraq. The country bordering Iraq on its eastern border is Iran, and there the descendants of the Persians and the Persian Empire. Okay? And that's why if you meet, I find increasingly people who are in the U.S. and are of Iranian descent will often call themselves Persian. Um, I think just because, you know, Iran is, is such a pariah in the world. Um, if you look at Iraq and you look northwest of Iraq, you can see the modern country of, of Syria. You can see Damascus. Damascus has been a city there for, gosh, I don't know how long, since maybe 9,000 B.C. Wow. Yeah, if you look north of Syria, you see Turkey. Um, that was called Asia Minor in the ancient world. Um, if you look along the Mediterranean to the south, you will see Israel. Lebanon, Israel, Jordan is was nothing, nor Jordan still it really isn't. Uh, Jordan's just these these countries, the bar the the borders of these countries to form modern day Iraq and modern day Jordan and stuff, that was all done after the end of the First World War. Just some some old some old guys got together and drew lines on a map at the end of the First World War, and we're still kind of living with it. And they didn't always do the great job. But anyway, uh, is that kind of interesting, Patty? It is. It is kind of interesting. It is interesting. I use them once in every these, uh, you know, today maps once in a while. So, all right. So this is the tapestry from about 300 years ago of Cyrus with one of his generals. The tapestry maker didn't know what Cyrus looked like. I don't know what Cyrus looked like. He looks fancy. <laughs> but he looks fancy. <laughs> He looks he looks young, I will say that for him. But, you know, Cyrus is a pretty major figure. And, um, uh, and, but he will be the one whom God raises up for the return of God's people from exile. One last thing. This is, this is a... Is he a prophet? Cyrus is yes. a king. He's a king. He's oh the, gosh, he, I'm sorry. He, he's Cyrus the Step Great. Away for a second. Wow. He is the Cyrus the Great, the okay. emperor of all that yellow. Woo. Yeah. And this is this this is called the Cyrus cylinder. Um, wow. And it dates back to the time of Cyrus, obviously, about 2500 years ago. And it lays out some of how Cyrus sees himself. And Cyrus sees himself as the great liberator. So, as opposed to the Babylonians who conquered Jerusalem and made everybody go back to Babylon, anybody that anybody would want, that's not Cyrus's way. Cyrus's way is to take control and send people back to their homes because he's the great liberator. Now, are they really and truly free? No. Um, when the Israelites, when the Jews make that journey back to Jerusalem, 
it's just a province in the great Persian Empire. They don't have a king. They're just they're just people under the rule of Cyrus. And that's that that's part of unlocking the question of of, of, of what's really happening because there's a lot of, of prophecies, a lot of pictures and portraits in in the Hebrew scrolls of this return from exile that don't seem to be fulfilled. That that seem to still be waiting for something. And some of that will turn into this expectation of a Messiah who will usher in God's kingdom and bring all those prophecies to fruition because when they begin to return, it doesn't doesn't really look the way that they thought it was going to look. Okay? God uses Cyrus. Yes, Lynn. God uses Cyrus. For this purposes, Cyrus is a tool in God's hand. So, verse chapter 45, verse 1. This is what Yahweh says to his anointed. That's interesting, isn't it? Anointed. Kings are anointed. This Cyrus is anointed to do God's work, to do God's bidding. Does Cyrus know who God is? Does Cyrus worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? No. But God can use whom he wants. We could go through the New Testament, go through the book of Acts and find stories where God is using people who don't know Jesus. Because the whole world is God's. Right? The whole world is God's. So, this is what Yahweh says to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of. Because this is this is not about Cyrus. This is about what God is going to do. Cyrus is just the instrument. Whose right hand I take hold of to subdue nations before him, before Cyrus, to strip kings of their armor, to open doors before him so that gates will not be shut. I, God, will go before you, Cyrus, and will level the mountains. I, God, will break down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. I, God, will give you hidden treasures, riches stored in secret places, so that you may know that I am Yahweh, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. For the sake of Jacob, my servant, of Israel, my chosen, I summon you by name and bestow on you a title of honor, even though you do not acknowledge me. Isn't that all kind of amazing, Patty? It is. It is. It really is. It, it is. And for I, one brief second, I thought, well, why don't you make him love you? <laughs> <laughs> and then I realized, no, that's that not going to work. You can't make can't somebody love you. No. Yeah. Because it does seem like he's God. Just, you know. Come just on, just do it. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't work. Like that line from Ruby, Ruby Sparks, right? Yes. I want to make her happy, but I won't, don't want to make her happy. Yes. If you haven't seen Ruby Sparks, put on your theological glasses and watch the movie. Okay, verse 5. I am Yahweh and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. I will strengthen you though you have not acknowledged me. You know, this should remind us, because I think we Christians can fall into this. We can fall into thinking that we know the boundaries of what God will and won't do. 
You know where I, 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 I come across this sometimes is there are Christians who think that God does not hear the prayers of unbelievers. And I'm thinking to myself, how could you possibly know such a thing? Look at everything he's done for Cyrus. And Cyrus is not acknowledging him. Cyrus doesn't know him. Cyrus is a pagan. But it's God's world, and and woe us if we start putting boundaries on what we think God can do or will do. God's grace and love is expansive. It's expansive. It's we can't contemplate the breadth of God's love and God's grace. Yet people insist upon trying to do so, and I just don't get it. I just don't get it. Okay, I do have a question for yeah. you. And um, I did step away, you know that for a second. I had to run something in the other room. But um, Okay, so it is, this is what the Lord says to his anointed. How is Cyrus hearing this? Is, is uh, you know? I don't think Cyrus is hearing this. But it says this he's telling he the, says. Yeah, so imagine he's telling... He's telling the Israelites, okay, Cyrus is my anointed. Here's all the things I'm going to do for Cyrus. He's not even going to know it's happening. Okay. I'm going to do this. 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 I'm going to do this, even though he doesn't acknowledge me. And that way, if you take it to the extreme, Cyrus is kind of like a puppet here. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. Kind of. Kind of. Right? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I don't think Cyrus is I don't think Cyrus is hearing a darn thing. It's sort of like somebody who's winning, winning, winning and does not even understand that it's God's victories, actually. That's that's the Cyrus story. I am Yahweh and there is no other. Apart from me there is no God. I will strengthen you, Cyrus though you have not acknowledged me. And why is God doing this? This is always a question in the Old Testament. Why is God doing this? This was back like, like why was God rescue, why did God rescue the Hebrews from Pharaoh? Why, why, why? So that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, meaning from one edge of the earth to the other, because the earth is a big flat thing, so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, people may know there is none besides me. I am Yahweh and there is no other. That's exactly the same thing that God says back in the book of Exodus. This is happening because the world needs to know. The world must know who God is. Why does Jesus task the disciples? with? He doesn't just tell them to go back and live nice Christ-like lives and be nice to people. <laughs> he tells them to march out into the world to be as witnesses to what? The ends of the earth. That's everywhere. There is no square inch of this globe that is not encompassed by the phrase the ends of the earth to be his witnesses, to make disciples, to baptize. Because that's the point of the whole thing. Going back to Abraham. Genesis 12, 3. I haven't said that in two weeks. That's a long break. <laughs> Genesis 12, 3. 
Abraham, God says, all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Once God makes that promises, all the rest of it is the working out of that promise, even the sacrifice, the sacrifice of Christ, his faithfulness all the way to death, even death on the cross. It is the working out of that promise to reconcile and bless the families of the earth, to bring them home, back to God. God says in verse 7, I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. You know, there's a lot there, there to talk about, isn't there? Yes, yes, yes. You heavens above, rain down my righteousness. Let the clouds shower it down. Let the earth open wide. Let salvation spring up. Let righteousness flourish with it. I, the Lord, have created it. This is God's world, is what God is saying. This is God's world. Woe to those who quarrel with their maker. We live in a time, used to be people understood that God was the judge and they were the one on trial. They were the one in the dock, as, as the Brits would put it. We live in a time when everybody's ready to put God in the dock, to put God on trial, to figure out if, if the God who is, is worthy of them. Woe to those who quarrel with their maker, those who are nothing but potsherds among the potsherds on the ground. These are those broken pieces of pottery. Does the clay say to the potter, hmm, what are you making? Does your work say the potter has no hands? Woe to the one who says to a father, what have you begotten? Or to a mother, what have you brought to birth? This is what Yahweh says, the Holy One of Israel and its Maker. Concerning things to come, do you question me about my children or give me orders about the work of my hands? It is I who made the earth. I created humankind on it. My own hands stretched out the heavens. I marshaled the starry hosts. I will raise up Cyrus in my righteousness. Let me explain that. In my righteousness. God made promises to Abraham. <laughs> Those promises seem pretty shattered at this point with the people in exile. But God is righteous. When God makes promises, God is going to keep those promises. And he is going to raise up Cyrus so that the promise made to Abraham can be kept so that the Jews can return to the promised land. Despite their sin, God's going to blow them away like the morning mist. And Cyrus is the instrument for this. The instrument for the demonstration of God's righteousness. For the demonstration of God's covenant keeping. I will raise up Cyrus in my righteousness. I will make his way straight. He will rebuild my city and set my exiles free. 
but not for a price or reward, says Yahweh Almighty. Okay? So. So, any thoughts or questions, Patty, before... We do do just a maybe do just a bit more, I guess. Uh, no, Another paragraph, not. another one more oracle, as they're called. One more little section here. Okay, so verse fourteen. This is what Yahweh says: the products of Egypt, the merchandise of Cush, and those tall Sabaeans. They're going to come to you, and will be yours. They will trudge behind you, coming over to you in change, and they will bow down before you and plead with you, saying, "Surely God is with you, and there is no other. There is no other God." You see, this is the kind of promise that the that the people would read, that the Jews would read in the scroll, and it would it would make their heads scratch. Okay, do it would make them scratch their heads <laughs> because it was obviously didn't happen. They they would start returning home in 540 BC. Nothing like this is happening. They merely trade one pagan ruler for another, for another, for another, for another. And so when you come to the time of Jesus, it's been more than 500 years, and these promises are still laying out there, which anybody can read. And anybody could see no, this was a lot. There's a lot wrong in this world, okay? And nobody is coming to us saying, "Oh yes, God is with you. There is no other. There is no other God." The Jews are still weird and isolated and alone. Five hundred years later, and so it's not surprising there were Jews who wondered, "Well, maybe God is just never going to keep these promises." is never going to keep them. Um, there was a woman um, at University of Virginia who wrote a book on the Paul's letter to the Romans, and, and she, she said the letter to the Romans is a defense of God's righteousness. That's what's happening. Paul feels it necessary to, to defend God, to help people see that Jesus is the fulfillment of these promises, that he is the one in whom these promises have been, are, and shall be kept. Scott, yes. Steve is asking, what time period is this again? So about about five, in the middle of the sixth century. Okay. So in 540 BC, roughly, okay. the first Jews begin to return back to Jerusalem Alrighty. from Babylon. So I round it off. So I'll call it five centuries before Jesus, just because I like round numbers. Um. So it's a long time before Jesus. It's a long time ago. Like I said, that's the time when the Great Pyramids were built in Egypt. No, wait, I'm off. Forget that. Forget, strike all of that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the Great Pyramids were built 2500 BC, which makes them 4500. It's the 25, that 4500 years ago. So strike all that stuff about the Great Pyramids. That is like one of the freakiest things when you think that when 
Mary and Joseph took baby Jesus past the pyramids. They had already been there 2,500 years. Yes. I mean, we can't even fathom that. When no. Mar- That's right. See, now I'm back on track, the right track. So when Mary and when Mary and Joseph and the baby escaped Egypt and they see the pyramids, as well, I hope they did, he's twenty five hundred years old. They were as far in time from those pyramids being constructed as we are from these people in exile. Wow, That's that is how. quite amazing. That is quite amazing, isn't it? So yeah. And they still figured out how to build those pyramids. I mean, really. They did, but only it took them a little while. You know, there's a pyramid in Egypt that is. That is kind of crooked. We saw one like that. It leans. <laughs> they didn't get it quite right. It kind of like leans off the closer you get to the top. And then, they, of course, they had the step ones. They started with step ones. And they slowly worked their way up to being able to do that. Yes. Of course, maybe it was aliens. <laughs> so, I don't know. Anyway, Patty's come back around because that's about as far as we're going to get today. I'm getting silly and I'm making foolish mistakes here. Would you move over just a tiny bit? I sure will. So we want to, I'll just, I'll do this for you, Patty, because I didn't really even hand you this piece of paper. In prayer, we want to lift up Linda Rivera's Uncle Al, who many of us have met because he's come to visit. And she tells me that every week he he um, watches, but he went into the hospital um, for, I, I, mean, I can't have the right glasses Would you like me to read it? I'm determined to do this myself. <laughs> Um, oh, he had knee surgery. That's right. He had knee, knee surgery. Um, and has developed complications. And he is currently in ICU in critical condition with wow. double pneumonia. Oh. So the next few days are going to be really important as they try to, we're going to pray that his organs aren't affected yes, by absolutely. the infection in any way. And Jamie uh, Lee said that her mom is at Bader Scott and White. With AFib, problem. with AFib, and AFib so we want to keep praying for do. them as well. We do, and uh, we had a couple of joys today. I saw from Bob and Sharon that on Wednesday they'll be married fifty-four years. That's awesome! Congratulations! And <laughs> saw good news that um, Gary Brooks has tested negative for COVID, and Jan's test is tomorrow. So we're we're praying, Jan. This is all going to be good, and you'll be back out amongst the living <laughs> yes we missed you last we missed you guys last tuesday we, we missed you guys the whole table was empty last tuesday yes i just want to say it was it, it felt very weird not right. yes <laughs> yes we missed your presence and um let's see was there anything else oh and norm and joan are actually listening to us as they're driving to Branson. So hi to you guys. Please drive safely. And remember to jot down any really fun places that Scott and I can't miss when we go there in August. For the first time ever, we are making a trek to Branson, Missouri. We are. We are. We're looking for inside air-conditioned things. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 Requirement. Yes, yes. We might go miniature golfing at night, but like... If it's indoors. (laughs) Oh, come on. Anyway, so if you would please um, close with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day. Um, We are so grateful that we can gather together like this, Lord. 
we know that a number of the people that are normally with us right now are either in England or Ireland or somewhere on one of the two wonderful trips that the St. Andrew Travel Ministry is on right now. We do pray for them too, God, that you would watch over and take care of all of them. We did hear yesterday that a few people from St. Andrew are in Ireland with COVID. I don't have any names, but we're praying for them too, Lord, that they uh, have mild cases and can, you know, seriously come home soon when they're when it's time to come home. Um, we pray, God, that you would continue to hold this group together. We pray, God, uh, for all the prayers, God, that were on our hearts today, but not lifted up to you. And we ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, to do that to you right now, please. Please watch over us. Keep us healthy. Keep us safe, Lord. And we do pray, God, for your wisdom in our lives every day, Lord, to help us make the right kind of choices and decisions that we should be making. All this we pray in the great and glorious name of your risen Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay, everybody. Bye, y'all. Adios. Have a good one. Bye-bye.